This is Bonjour Chai, the X-rated anti-Semitism edition. I'm Avi Feingold in Montreal, and I'm here with Phoebe Maltzbovi in Toronto. We are your Frozen Chosen. On today's show, we ask the questions that no one, absolutely no one, has been asking, like, is Elon Musk an anti-Semite? Are Jews white? And, you know, exactly how hot is the Blue Jay Spencer Horowitz? Before I wanted to do that, I did want to mention uh, a bit of business um, because uh, we still have about a week or a little bit longer if you're really pushing uh, for our great Canadian Sermon Slam. Um, and so if you're a rabbi or you want to submit your rabbi, you want to nominate your rabbi, um, just get us uh, your sermon, um, bonjour at the cjn.ca. We are going to be running it, I believe, the week between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Um, it's it's always a fun time. We have the massive Kiddush cup that we give out. Um, so uh, <laughs> the great Canadian sermon slam, let's get to that and uh, send in your um, send in your submissions. We're going to crown Canada's great sermonizer um, soon enough. Beth David Hebrew School is now accepting new students. One of Toronto's most dynamic, egalitarian, conservative congregations is offering personalized Hebrew lessons, hands-on learning, exciting field trips, and small group activities all with a hot dinner included. This is Jewish exploration that will last your children a lifetime. Classes run weekly on Monday nights from 5 to 7.15 p.m. starting September 18th. To learn more and enroll, visit BethDavid.com or email Adina, that's A-D-I-N-A, at BethDavid.com. Phoebe, welcome back. Thank you, thank you. Can you welcome our guest on the show today? Uh, certainly, certainly. So our guest um, also... A Torontonian, John Kay, an editor at Quillette, um, who I've known from writing things um, for a while now. And it's an honor with a U, honor spelled with a U, ever since I've passed my Canadian citizenship test. Honor gets that U. Honor to have you here. Originally a Montrealer, I should say. Oh, I, I wasn't going to mention it. 25 but, years, uh, 25 yeah. years in Montreal. Okay, okay. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, have, has anything happening with you guys? Uh, Phoebe, you took the week off last week. I did. Um, it was a very glamorous week off. Um, the daycare is closed for a week that my just turned two-year-old younger daughter is in. Um, so we went around the city, um, ate a lot of food. She napped. She, she'll only nap in the stroller. So we did a lot of kind of me ducking into a coffee shop while she was asleep and eating a cookie, things like that. John, what, wow. what have you been up to? You know what? I, uh, I was worried my, <clears throat> I was worried my material was too banal, but apparently I think I may have, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm aiming, I want to make it, I don't want anybody to have a hard act to follow here. So I, I needn't have been concerned. Uh, <laughs> so I, well, I mean, this is equally banal, but my daughters are now of an age where, the the days before Labor Day is like I'm driving furniture to new apartments and um, my my <clears throat> my eldest is at Queens University in Kingston. Then I have another I have another girl starting new schools, so it's all back to school, but high school and university edition. Yeah, I I was in uh, New Jersey last week um, celebrating the the prime export of New Jersey, which is cousins. Um, it's basically all that they export. Did you know that? This is a true story. Did you know that Sweden once colonized New Jersey? 
Really? When yeah. is this once? Was this like in the 80s is that or why the people 1680s? In Princeton, no, no, no. In Princeton, New Jersey, people are so blonde? Or <laughs> no, 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 no. So th- this was like this brief interlude in the 17th. First of all, it wasn't called New Jersey. It was like mm. so- something unpronounceable with like four Joy-Z. So, no, It was like something you and I couldn't pronounce. I'm, I'm guessing. I don't even know. But yeah, so there was like this brief interregnum where Sweden was wanted to get in on the colonial game because France and England and Spain were doing it. Unfortunately, they picked New Jersey. Uh, so but uh, yeah I, I don't know how long it was but next time you're there there's probably like a highway marker somewhere yeah it's okay. there's a massive ikea right by newark no no, no no you know what there's more to swedish <laughs> that's re- re- reductionist there's more yes. to Swedish. the swedes were actually like big time um imperial colonizers back in like the so 15th are you thing. john is what you're saying that we need to decolonize sweden uh, well, no, Sweden can, can stay as it is. Uh, New Jersey clearly <laughs> we need needs to decolonize some, New Jersey. I, I think okay. if a lot of it Get can be that. traced to the Scandinavian influence and That's people don't, people don't, I would never have a, I think of New Jersey. So I lived in New Jersey for four years. I think of it as like Chris Christie, who does not strike me as a particularly Swedish gentleman. I have cousins in New Jersey, and the sections of New Jersey they live in is like the opposite of the stereotype. Oh yeah, yeah, that's where I was. We were in Englewood, New Jersey, for the weekend. Yeah, that was okay. Uh, okay. Quite uh, frou frou. Maybe we have uh, the same cousins. Maybe you're the same person. Maybe am I just talking to one person? <laughs> this is Perhaps. very confusing with the split screen. I was also thinking this is kind of random, but how many daughters do we have between us? I feel I have like three. a lot. I have three. I have three. And I have two. Wow, so quite a lot of quite a lot of daughters. Maybe you got some work to do. Yeah, yeah, and I have a lot of advice. If, if we were going to go really banal, I could ask for how you do daughters' hair in the morning and actually get them to school if they make complicated requests. The only hair care solution I like is the one you see on your screen. It's uh, <laughs> fail-proof, and um, as I get into middle age, I'm spending more and more time with baseball hats on. Yeah. Uh, because there's just fewer angles that my head looks like it has hair. It used to be, as long as I didn't bend over, you couldn't see the male pattern baldness. I see. Um, But now you kind of have to look at me at like a 20-degree upward angle for it to look respectable. I see. For those of you who can't see, John is wearing a uh, Mercedes baseball cap with Uh, number 44, signaling his uh, approval of Barack Obama, I believe. Okay. So, (laughs) you know, this this is problematic in a way that you can't even understand. This is... Um, oh, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned now. Lu- um, so Lewis Hamilton, groundbreaking African-American, or is he Afro-British? Anyway, uh, the first prominent black F1 driver, and I got this hat, to not to signal my allyship, but after I got it, my family told me about this because they watched that Drive to Survive show. And, and so this hat is a combination of snobbery, because it's got the Mercedes logo on it, because Lewis Hamilton drives for Mercedes, and allyship because of his identity. So it kind of, um, I'd say it's a bridge building hat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Mercedes, is not is that still considered problematic by Jews? Avi, no, no, no. I think arbiter. it's considered problematic uh-huh. by poor people because it just like <laughs> it looks like you're well, advertising. Uh, hey, I drive brand. a Volkswagen and I, I make jokes about it all the time about how you can fit a dozen people, uh, oh 45 if you fit in fit the Jews in the ashtray. I, oh, oh, my. Oh, my God. wow. Avi, Avi, you're going to be canceled off your own show. We went from um, Phoebe show. eating a cookie I, 
ate like, a cookie. It was a nice cookie. I ate it. I ate it. Although I, I actually did cause internet controversy during the break, and I, I forgot to mention that. And it's actually kind of re- re- ah, related to this. I took a picture yeah. from one of these stroller naps, just like my child wasn't even visible, but like the stroller was visible, and somebody tweeted at me. Or this is kind of a segue into our topic, so just you know, it's a little clunky, but here we go. Um, somebody xed at me or whatever. No, post, no don't say reposted, that. Don't say that. Post replied at me nice stroller those don't come cheap yeah and i was like what (laughs) just somebody was so and it's this stroller it's so disgusting at this point because we got it for my older daughter and it's like got two children's worth of absolute crud on it you know but yeah that's right it didn't come cheap we thought about what to do for our december toronto baby and we figured we needed something that can like go over you know snow and we got the one of these up a baby strollers which we in practically everybody else in Toronto has done. And then, yeah, I was, I got like very annoyed about this and I blogged about it um, using my like one minute of internet time on the week off. And then all these commenters were like, "Ah, well, actually it's like nice to tell people that they spent too much on their stroller. And I was like, what? So anyway, that was my. These are the kind of things that, that turn people into celebrities. Like it's, it's this kind of issue. I mean, Phoebe, I know I talked about this and I forget it was on my podcast or your podcast, but uh, it was that, that woman sipping coffee in her garden. Yeah. forget her name. Yeah. It's like this kind of super banal thing that just like blows up. Yes. A woman. So, so Avi to catch you and our listeners up, um, a woman once tweeted back when it was called Twitter, that she was in her garden sipping coffee and this Broke the internet that day because uh, that signals her privilege. And no, no, she loved her husband. Not so everybody much. can be. Not everybody has a garden. Not everybody yeah. has a coffee. Not everybody can sit. You know, not everybody's a chair. Whatever. Uh, and, <laughs> but that was the that was the thing, and it was like, and this really did happen. So um, that's why I, I found the stroller thing, and I, and I just I was I became fascinated by this. Like, why would you tell somebody something that they have is expensive? Are you telling them it was? too expensive for them? Are you telling them that they are extremely wealthy? And if so, could they actually be as wealthy as they are imagined to be? Because that would be nice. And like, yeah, I had a lot of thoughts about this. But um, it, it yeah, so that was that was my I, I claim to have been offline last week. But like, I made a lot I, I tried to be as online as possible with the minute in which I was online, which is important. But, but I but so our topic today is actually this is the segue. Da, 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 da. Twitter, now known as X, um, Elon Musk's baby um, that's asleep in Elon Musk's overpriced stroller at this very moment, um, is is it an anti-Semitic place? Is it more anti-Semitic since Musk took over? Is Musk personally anti-Semitic? Blah, 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 blah. This goes on forever and ever and ever. But what seems to have happened now is that the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, has been saying that Twitter's anti-Semitic. Elon Musk has threatened to sue the Anti-Defamation League for <laughs> defamation of sorts. I, I don't know exactly. Um, I'm John. You're the legal expert among us, um, and it doesn't sound like he's actually suing them, at least thus far. Uh, but he made the so the the legal aspect is maybe less interesting for us than the question of is as Elon Musk claims the ADL one of the main propagators of Twitter anti-Semitism discuss Musk made this outrageous claim that the revenues were down at Twitter mostly because of of the ADL which mm-hmm. which is 
I mean, that's it's a crazy, <laughs> it's a crazy thing to say. I, when Musk took it over, rightly or wrongly, I, I know people listening to the show probably have different views. There were a lot of companies, companies, the marketing departments tend to be very risk averse. And uh, Musk is obviously very colorful and unpredictable figure. And, um, you know, not unreasonably, there were a lot of people who said, well, we can advertise on Facebook where, you know, alongside pictures of people's puppies and stuff, or we could advertise on Twitter alongside some, you know, 47 tweet rant about how Armenians control the world money supply. And, you know, let's let's go with Facebook or let's go with Google or let's go with YouTube or something, because it's just we're more likely to have our ad, ad content appear adjacent to respectable content. Well, also, I mean, the, the uh, user said, experience of, uh, has, has changed. Has Twitter become more anti-Semitic? Twitter has become more everything. It's become more anti-Semitic. It's become more philo-Semitic. It's become more Zionist. It's become more anti-Zionist. It's become more of everything because there are fewer... Well, it's become less profitable. It's become less profitable, but like, you know, we are... I mean, we are we're cultural critics. We we don't care about that sort of filthy lucre. We're much more interesting, much more inter- interested in how X affects the zeitgeist, and the zeitgeist on. I'm going to ca- keep calling it Twitter because X is ridiculous. Is just it's more extreme in every direction because it used to be that if you got into some kind of crazy fight with somebody about let's let's talk about Stroller Lady. This I think her name's Phoebe. She's this Toronto mm-hmm. resident who just mm-hmm. like she went viral for this. I mean, she posted pictures. Some $4,000 stroller or something like that. No, no, please, please. $50,000, please. (laughs) And she just did it casually. Like the stroller was just in the corner of the frame. No, no, actually the mortgage on the stroller. Right. And I think there was a Birkin bag in the stroller and the baby was in the Several of them. Yeah. Several. Anyway, um, so you could get into some crazy flame war and like eventually one person or another would get suspended. Like, and the people would stop fighting because it's sort of like one person would be in the penalty box. Um, and now you, you get, I mean, people still can, it's still possible. It's hard, but, um, you have to work at it. It's just, there are fewer firewalls. It's harder for people to get suspended. And as a result, uh, the rhetoric on both, both sides, I'm going to be accused of both sides of them. Rhetoric (laughs) gets, gets stronger. Uh, the feuds go on longer, they go on deeper. And I got to say they become more incomprehensible, like, because, so I'm not, a Twitter celebrity by any means, but I have enough followers that sometimes people DM me and they want me to like weigh in on one side or another of some um, Twitter dispute that's going on, you know, in Canada or something. And often I like, I can't even, like I, I spend five minutes looking at what they're talking about and I can't even understand what they're arguing about because these things have festered for so long. Uh, and people have said such crazy things that, it's it's actually impossible for somebody who's just new to that dispute to even disentangle what they're arguing about. But one thing they both agree on is that that they're both the other person is a Nazi. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird, right? But that, there was this one thing that I just wanted to say about the user experience that I think really like I saw a tweet that summed it up better than I could, and that I think like I don't know whether John, you find that this is accurate to your experience of it too, but it's by. The handle Rax King is dead, some sort of Twitter personality. And the tweet is, bro, it is so fucking boring on here now. Every post in my feed is one of you joylessly dunking on someone called like Dr. Alpha DDS or the gentleman <laughs> classicist. Tiresome. But he's and then right. She, to which she replies, 
I'm going she by the avatar. I've not actually, I don't know who this is. Um, I'm doing it too, I know, because those are the only posts I see anymore. And I thought that this, okay, so that, those are, I'm done uh, quoting. I think that's 100% it. You see, it seems to be like there, so the other thing that's, I think, relevant is that Musk has sort of monetized being controversial. So like, if you pay for the blue check, you can get and then get money back by basically like posting some kind of extremely outrageous hateful thing that's going to get a lot of people angry and then get a lot of people who support it supporting it so that seems to be another whole element of it and that does seem to be like these people who have these kind of i don't even know if they're like traditionalist or what um accounts where they're like actually women should not have sex with too many different people and then like a million and that was it for days it was all about um whether what women's body count should be and it was like it didn't used to be like this, is what I'm saying. I love that that's your traditional voice. Do do it again. Like <laughs> I'm going to do it continuously. I'm, no, but, not, I'm just going to get rid of... That's that's how I would talk if I were a trad male influencer. Okay, but I want you to... Which I okay. will become after this. Okay, after in, the, in, this, this, in this scene, you're a trad woman who's <laughs> making a disparaging comment about a stroller you see from Starbucks. <laughs> Oh, that actually is another thing is anti-stroller people who who genuinely don't think anybody should ever use a stroller because they're attachment parents and think you should always be holding the baby. We have some of those in my neighborhood and uh, uh, and they're kind of wearing, it's not, so I I, I have worn a baby Bjorn and, and okay. anyone who's a parent knows what a baby Bjorn is. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is not a baby Bjorn. This is something more primitive looking. It's like a sling. It's like mm-hmm. made of macrame or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and And the baby is like glued onto your chest. Um, yes. it's like a decal mm-hmm. or something. And I it's, think that, yeah, yeah, it looks sweaty. It looks very sweaty. Yeah. But, but to be the real, the real deal, you have to do that till the baby's like 10. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Okay. Um, I know people, you know, two, three, it's pushing it, but yeah, there's, uh, I, I, this is the sort of thing that's discussed in mummy forums where men aren't allowed, I think. Okay, so back to back to the really <laughs> masculine world of yeah. Elon Musk. Avi, well, I, cut, so I cut you off earlier, please. I get the sense that with anti-Semitism, the fact that there are people who call out anti-Semitism full-time does actually lead to more anti-Semitism because it has now become part of the zeitgeist. This idea that anti-Semitism needs to be fought means that there need to be people who are saying those things quietly get to say them out loud because anti-Semitism is a thing now. Um is this actually um, true? Is there is your experience of this um, some something along these lines? Am I completely off? Like, does the ADL actually create you know unwittingly more anti-Semitism, which is what they're trying to push away from? Uh, you know, I I'm I'm going to defend the ADL here uh, in a backhanded way. Is that this is something I've been writing about for twenty years. Um, uh, because you know we're here in Canada, um, as, as I think both of you know, there's this organization that's very active in fighting anti-Semitism called B'nai B'rith, and I remember when I was at the National Post newspaper, and you know every year I'd get the B'nai B'rith report on anti-Semitism, and I would read it, and I remember like I I'd, I'd have a stack of these reports because when I was began my journalism career, I was a diligent filing cabinet junkie, like I had whole I think I had a B'nai B'rith folder. Um, subtopic anti-Semitism. And then I'd like look through six or seven years of it. And it's like every single report was anti-Semitism is skyrocketing, spiking, um, an epidemic. Um, And my own personal experience ran the opposite of that. Like when I started in journalism in the late 90s, early noughts, another term I don't like, 
I got a lot of anti-Semitic email. Um, and often on subjects that had nothing to do with like the Middle East or Judaism, it was, you know, I'd write something about, I don't know, capital gains taxes. And it's like, well, of course, that's what a Jew would say. <laughs> and, uh, and that just tailed off. And the last, I guess I've been in journalism almost 25 years, there has been a steady decline in the anti-Semitism that exists in not just on the email I get, but just like the general tenor of society. Um, I, I find anti-Semitism generally has been on the decrease. The anti-Semitism that still exists is more visible because Twitter and other social media give us a window into the whack jobs who still believe Jews control the banking system. Like, you know, we saw an example of this a couple of days ago. There was a couple of dozen like truly cracked nuts who staged some kind of weird demonstration in front of a shopping center near Disney World. And like the American media covered it like it was, um, you know, uh, Kristallnacht or something like that. And, you know, as recently as, as 20 years ago, something like that would have been confined to the local media. So the anti-Semitism that does exist, we, we, we have a window into it. Personally, I think that anti-Semitism now, and again, this makes me unpopular on both sides, because so I, I think it's it's massively reduced as a force in our society. What I do see is you have groups like B'nai B'rith and the ADL, which were formed, they've done one, you know, with, with in, in part with the intention of, of um, shutting down anti-Semitism with the best of intentions, and they've done a lot of great work. But the pattern in organizations is organizations, regardless of their mission, don't just say, well, we've accomplished our objective, so we're going to shut down now and return all our money to the donors. Organizations perpetuate themselves. Organizations attract leaders who are true believers in the mission. And uh, many, Jew many leaders of Jewish organizations I meet, especially organizations oriented toward fighting anti-Semitism, truly do believe that, like, you know, we're on the cusp of, like, you know, maybe not a Holocaust, but like we're on the cusp of some kind of like cataclysm in which Jews are just going to be like openly attacked on the street and stuff like that. You see this kind of language and I say like, what are you talking about? That's crazy. Um, but there are people, and I, look, I, I don't want to like create a, a parody version of these people. Sometimes they come by their fears honestly, but often these are the sort of people who rise to the leadership of these organizations. I don't think it's just about money. Many actually believe like we're on the cusp of an anti-Semitic cataclysm. And what I see, unfortunately, is that spirit weaponized um, on both sides. So, like, it doesn't matter what you're debating. Well, here, let's take a, a, a parochial example, which is the convoy movement here in Canada, which for those outside Canada, there's a bunch of not just truckers, but primarily truckers who are vaccine skeptical, to use a euphemism, who sort of occupied downtown Ottawa for a couple of weeks. And the people, <clears throat> I mean, I didn't agree with the convoy, but... What I disagreed with more was people who were so eager to attack the convoy and its and the people running it that like if they saw a bumper sticker or if they saw, you know, some whack job was carrying a Nazi flag because he was accusing Trudeau of being a Nazi, not because this guy was a Nazi. He was stupidly, he was accusing Trudeau of being a Nazi, which is ridiculous. And the guy's an idiot, but it's not like he was carrying the Nazi flag because he says, yeah, let's start a Nazi party. And they would take these images and say, you see the movement, it's just a bunch of anti-Semitic crackpots. And then on the other side, you, you often have conservatives who will take some like Looney Tunes professor of English from some liberal arts college in the United States who makes like completely weird and creepy comments about Israel. And they'll take him and say, you see, 
they'll take him as the flag bearer of progressivism. And you, you say, you see these progressives, it's just their bunch it's of... It's not just about anti-Semitism. Well, anti-Semitism has become weaponized. And, it and, sounds and, like what you're saying, though, is that it's become weaponized on both sides, uh, both sides of the of the awareness spectrum, not by 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 the anti and the anti anti Semitism people. It's that the in the pre internet or the pre social media era, anti Semitism was reported on by the media if it was something that was noteworthy. Yeah. And if it wasn't noteworthy, B'nai B'rith couldn't get their press release published, yeah. and they were just stuck. That was it. Now, when they have a tiny little incident where, like, I I always remember this one where somebody used a freshly uh, three centimeters of snow and went on a car and painted with their finger a swastika, yeah. right? It's some nine-year-old who said, whatever it was, now we are going to go and promote this. We're going to talk about this. And if the Montreal Gazette isn't going to publish it, which I think that they actually did not, um, but the the Suburban, which is the local, like, you know, new, uh, neighborhood, you know, rag, made a whole thing about it. Well, if they're not going to talk about it, we're going to make this the central piece of our campaign for the next year that the media doesn't talk about about these anti-Semitic incidents, but the social media is out there able to like get this message amplified by B'nai B'rith and by the other side who are, you know, now saying, well, what anti-Semitism? We are, this is true anti-Semitism. This is now that we can talk about it. And just the amplification is where it's at. But B'nai B'rith now, because they have a megaphone beyond real responsible media they get to get it out there and talk about this as if it's so much bigger than it actually is i I just don't so i guess just bring it back to twitter and musk and all of this i don't really see how any of the the only anti-semitism i see well first of all i should say on a personal but relevant level is i had not seen like the twitter nazis out in full force for like literally years until a couple days ago when I suddenly had all these people tweeting. I had, they found some tweet somewhere where I had referred to myself as white in some reply. And I kept getting like this sort of avalanche of replies of white within the three parentheses, you know, like all these people suddenly telling me I'm Jewish. Can, so for something, the people who don't know, uh, what are the three parentheses? That means that it, it means that it's, it's code that they've discovered that the senior editor of the Canadian Jewish News uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm very impressed that they figured this out. But um, this, I had not, what, but what I'm saying is that I used to see this all the time on Twitter, like years H- how ago. How did they not know? You can't spell schmaltz without maltz. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they researched it. They took the calipers to my face and they figured it all out. Um, yeah, basically what I'm saying is that I think something maybe did happen with the Elon Musk empowering anti-Semites in the last few days in terms of this discussion of suing the ADL. That, I think, is maybe like a relevant, something relevant to like an uptick of maybe internet anti-Semitism. It's, it's weird, but it's hard to dis- disentangle. It's, it's hard to know. It, well, it's hard to disentangle Musk's general weirdness from the um, the, the socio-cultural religious importance of this gesture of him suing the ADL. Like, I mean, also the thing is Musk... Remember, he's not actually suing the ADL. He's threatening to sue it. Fair enough, fair enough. But, like, the other thing is, you know, six hours from now, Musk will be chasing a new squirrel. Like, I mean, the guy has, like, a sort of a weird kind of ADHD, and who knows who he'll be be attacking a a day from now. If I can just pick up some of the historical overtones there, because it's it's absolutely true. Um, You talked about 19th century France, and, um, you know, this is brings up like the Dreyfus case and, and, and stuff. Anti-Semitism tends to map itself on the pre-existing neuroses of a, of a society. Correct. So uh, when pestilence and plague were, were prominent in medieval Europe, 
Um, you know, Jews were accused of poisoning wells and stealing babies and stuff like that. Um, you know, when the germ theory of medicine uh, was in its infancy, you know, that attached itself to medieval anti-Semitism, and it was about Jews spreading disease uh, and being a bacillus, which is uh, a horrifying image that was seized upon by the Nazis. Um, and then, of course, with the protocols of the elders of Zion, when there was the aristocrats <clears throat> had a neurosis about liberalism and capitalism and, and, and urbanism, Jews were seen at the center of that. What I'm seeing now in Canada is one of the primary anxieties people have about their well-being and the well-being of their children uh, tends to focus around real estate, buying a house. And the primary focus of, I'm not sure conspiracism is the right word, it tends to be Asians. It tends to be primarily East Asians, but immigrants of all kind who people see buying up homes. So if you go to Vancouver and you listen to people making, call it problematic statements, about minority communities, if minority community is the right word in certain neighborhoods, it's, it's basically like, who are the people coming and buying up our homes? And it may be Russians, mm -hmm. but more often than that, it's East Asians. You don't hear, you don't hear people refer to Jews. Okay, so I, I have a, a lot to say about that, like specifically about the Asians thing. So this was actually one of the first things I noticed when I moved to Toronto um, in 2015, the amount of rather open anti-East Asian comments from people who I would have thought were progressive, from people who were some, themselves people of color, sometimes even Asian themselves. I heard a ton of this. I heard a ton of this. And I was shocked by how open it was. And it was, like you say, to do with real estate. It was to do with international students. It was to do with the kind of crossover of these. I definitely can um, agree that you hear a lot of this. I think what's different with Asians and Jews, among other things, and yes, some people are Asian and Jewish. I'm sure we will have the, the one person who emails <laughs> to let us know that that's possible. Hi, Fred. Uh, some people Hi, Fred. in my own family <laughs> yeah. are. But anyway... That's a whole separate issue. Um, the question is, um, is it the same thing? Well, I would say no, because Asia is large. There are a lot, or rather a lot of Asian people in the whole world. Jews are this tiny global minority who are much more sort of talked about than acting ourselves. Like there are just not many of us not doing a whole heck of a lot. So anti-Semitism has built into it this very specific thing of, and, and lends itself to this sort of conspiracizing because they're just like, what we are actually doing, actual Jews, is like a blip in compared to what's imagined to be happening. Whereas there just are like a whole lot of Asian people. And even if Asians are a minority in a particular North American city, in the world, there, you know, there are a lot of Asians. Uh, I want to talk about DEI, though. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, known in Canada sometimes, but not always, as EDI, I have learned. Correct? I know in higher ed it is. They, so they keep adding letters because to make it happen. Um, by, by the time this podcast goes to air, there will be more letters. And, and like on, on, you'll see some right-wing people on their Twitter, they insist on spelling it die, D-I-E, because like what happens to a society when you embrace diversity, it <laughs> dies. Like, so let's just say the diversity stuff. I mean, we know, we know what you mean when you say E-D-I or D-I-E or whatnot. But diversity like could be like a sort of generic, banal, like, Nice yes, but it's celebrate. become it's become idiomatic yes. in the sense that, uh, yes, you're right. I mean, who doesn't like diversity? Diversity is great. Um, For our purposes, though, the question then really is centered around um, where do Jews fit in? 
Yeah. Um, and my experience of it um, has been that historically, Jews spent decades and decades fighting to not be seen as a minority so as to gain, you know, membership in the greatest... Well, to not be the, seen who, as, as a racialized minority. Obviously, we're a minority, but to sh- not be seen as... Well, no, as, I would even go so, go so far as to say, no, we're part, of, we're part of society. We're just like everybody else. Right. Okay. We are we, we don't think of it as Christian and Jewish or it's Judeo Christian. Right. We want to be part of your clubs. We want to be members of, you know, the greatest societies. We want to be partners in the law firms. And in order to do that, we need to not be seen as, as a minority of any kind. Right. And then as soon as being a minority is a good thing, right, the Jews want to automatically be part of the like the Jews. Yeah, the Ju- a- no, but Abby, I, I, I interrupt you on purpose <laughs> because I'm saying that I think that like I think there's a split. Right. There it's not doesn't seem like yeah. all Jews want it doesn't seem like this is necessarily about the same people being hypocritical it seems like these might be different people wanting different things different Jews wanting different things yeah yeah all Jews matter but so can I jump in there because please uh Canada is a particularly interesting example because in Canada our human rights laws uh are, are very much a product of um well, you know, there's uh, Alan Borovoy, who was head of the Canadian uh, Civil, Civil Liberties Association, uh, and, and other Jewish human rights leaders pressed, were among the leaders pressing for human rights legislation and the creation of human rights tribunals. And of course, in the United States example, everybody, you know, knows this, uh, the, the much um, talked about uh, Jewish support for the black civil rights struggle and I think it's broadly true that Jews generally have supported any intellectual and political movement, which, as Avi said, um, promotes the idea of a sort of Freemasonry of spirit among human beings. So that, so like communism originally had um, the support of, of, of many Jews in, in Eastern Europe um, and also in North America because it emphasized the idea of a brotherhood of humanity and, you know, erasing distinctions of race and faith that had a huge appeal for, uh, for Jews. Um, however, what's happened in, ter- in terms of, I don't know, diversity in history, I-, I agree that diversity, if you look it up in the dictionary and you accept that definition is a good thing, but when I say the diversity industry, um, it means the, um, the sort of bureaucracy that's associated with, say, racial preferences, affirmative action, sensitivity training, um, campaigns against the supposed evilness of whiteness, heavy-handed decolonialization attempts in universities, and like sort of some of the heavy-handed stuff, um, which maybe is more contentious, it isn't just Jews who have been erased from that. It's, um, I would say... Many kind, in many contexts, East Asians, particularly, particularly in the context of universities where they're overrepresented, um, gay men, uh, lesbians increasingly say that we are now um, excluded. We are now long, no longer seen as an equity-seeking group. Uh, just the opposite, in fact. You have trans women who see us as a barrier to their advancement because they see us as privileged because we're, we may be lesbians, but we're cis women, and so we have privilege. Um, so I, I would say Jews are in that cohort of, call it graduates, 
from what is now known as equity-seeking or equity-deserving groups. If you look at the idiom of human rights legislation or of university human rights policies, is there's a whole cohort of people who are kind of honorary Christian white men. And it's like, okay, well, we're, we're done with you. Uh, now we're going to focus on Muslims, blacks, indigenous people, and transgender people, which are now often explicitly referred to as the main um, b beneficiary group for a lot of EDI programming. It's and, interesting that you don't mention class at all, and I don't mean that, yes, that you don't uh, yeah, mention no, no, it, but, but that's it's very, interesting that, no, but I mean, I think that's important. A hundred percent, and it's very reductionist because when you talk about a Toronto Jew, you could be talking about a fourth generation Jew who lives in Forest Hill in you know a $10 million house with like, you can't even walk in the garage. There's so many strollers. Like they're like actually waiting for the strollers. walking <laughs> on the strollers um, <laughs> to somebody who lives up at like, I don't know, L Lawrence and Bathurst and maybe is a recent Russian immigrant and, you know, um, has trouble paying the rent and um, and is economically disadvantaged. But this is part of a larger conversation about erasing considerations of class i feel like you just erased the middle class there well uh I'm just I, I have erased the middle class because when you talk about privilege it has a centrifugal effect on the conversation yes. Yes. is that like everybody who's is that so, tell tell me well kidding. i mean everybody who's uh who's who's underprivileged oh, actually i'm not even sure you can say underprivileged but there's there's oppressed and oppressors and and yes. this it's a fundamentally uh manic understanding of how society works. Some people source it to Marxism. I source it to human nature. People are tribal and we tend mm -hmm. to divide every society into two tribes. Um, but yeah, the economic considerations, traditional Marxist analysis has largely been erased from the progressive politi political discussion because of the focus on skin color, faith, and gender preference. I mean, it, what, it's all very interesting. So I've been following this. So the book I wrote about privilege came out in 2017 and a lot has and hasn't changed since then. But what I've noticed really the main thing I would say that I've noticed since then is the way that there was this kind of moment when women were the ultimate in the oppressed. Women were yeah. considered extremely oppressed. There was Donald Trump. There was Me Too, you know, all of this discussion. And even before Me Too, there was Title IX in the U.S. and all this discussion of campus sexual assault, all these viral videos of women being catcalled and how terrible that was. And people weren't overly dwelling on the fact that the catcallers were themselves seemingly underprivileged, often racialized men, whatever. You know, there was a different conversation, but then everything switched and it became the absolute opposite with 2020. And then it, w it became instead that it was Black Lives Matter and women are Karens, basically, but, if they're not. Phoebe, you know this better than me, but... My sense as as an outsider, obviously, to to a lot of these these conversations that were happening among women, um, there was that march in Washington that like blew up because over the question of whether like white feminists were bad people because they were all racist. You remember that big yes. march in Washington that blew up? The, to me, the yeah. conversation changed around that time because there was this internecine struggle within that aspect of the feminist movement where, yeah, I mean, it was just like in the space of a couple of months, white women in particular went from being like, you know, preach on sister. Yeah. You tell them to like, shut up, Karen. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I think that's yeah. certainly one of 
several inflection points. I mean, there was that, but I would also say there was like the whole sort of 2020 girl boss downfall where every other article was about a, a white female entrepreneur who was actually problematic now. And this was sort of like the, it was like Me Too repeated itself, but with all these mainly white, not always white women. If I can recenter this back to back to the Jews, of course, because it's always about the Jews. Um, <laughs> are Jews white? Right. That that is the fundamental question because no, Jews w- clearly, <laughs> as you who can see me on video can see, I'm obviously a dark skinned black person because I'm Jewish and that's how it works. And that's yeah. Um, yeah, of course, Jews are white um, because if you look at the idea of what because look, whiteness is a cultural construct. And, you know, 50 years ago, whiteness, it was awesome. You know, like, uh, what's wrong with being white? It's so great. Look, you know, we, we own all the banks and stuff like that. We're, we're like, it's like Jews writ large. Uh, now whiteness is bad. And um, to be whiteness is coded. I'm going to use Phoebe's uh, vernacular here. Whiteness Sorry. is coded as, as privileged, as... Um, you know, maybe overeducated, um, having nice things, uh, access to good schools, uh, lots of diplomas on the wall, maybe a cottage. And if you look at, at Toronto, Jews are the whitest people in Toronto, uh, if, to the extent that whiteness means all the things I just said, with exceptions. Like, you know, if, if you Hasidic people are not the whitest people in Toronto, right? Um, That's but, fair to say. But, but if you look, if, if I took the arithmetic average of religious observance and socioeconomic status of Jews in Toronto, you would find an extremely white person, as whiteness is defined right now. I would go with something much simpler, which is just who do, who do people think you are when you walk down the street? And I think that people will often say, okay, well, now it's Jews seem white, but in the past, no. And I would say that that's not true. I think in the past, also Jews seemed white. And that's why the Nazis, to bring everything back to the Nazis, that's why they made Jews wear a yellow star, right. because you didn't know who was Jewish because Jews looked... And, and the, the difference was that white versus not white was not the parameter that racists of that time and place were so interested in but racists in america and in north america more broadly to some extent um have been interested in white versus non-white for quite some time and jews have and and that's the analogy for i mean i feel like i remember many years ago reading one of these academic books on jews and whiteness and it never once mentioned like what people look like (laughs) and it seemed a little bit relevant here um anyway I like to point out that Judaism is purely a religion, right? That anybody can be Jewish. There yes. are black, and they, there are black yes, Jews. Yes, there are there black are Jews. I think we all then, know that. And I then that being said, that. Yes. that being said, I can still hold into my mind, right? The the idea that the only reason why this question makes sense is because Jews are so fucking white. Yeah. <laughs> and and the fact is is that the people who ask these questions and say that we are oppressed as Jews and we're not really white and we can't really pass are the ones that are never wearing kippahs. And I wear a kippah. Right in out and about in society, and 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 I'm. It's not about you know, and I'm the one that like 
passes all the time. I'm not for, you know, white, but like until you see my keepa, I just walking in the street and I get it. So so the question is there because it's so easy to see that it's obvious that even if you are Sephardic, you often look um, very similar to everybody else. And I'm half Sephardic. I, I thought when I was applying to American universities that I should put down that I'm African-American because 50% of me, oh. of my genes is literally coming from Africa. I knew a lot of people but, in high school who but, had this but, approach. But, but apparently but, North yeah. Africa doesn't count. Really? Well, it's because you're, you're above the Sahara. Right? You're above the Sahara. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so speaking of what people look like, I hear that there is, is an important story um, in sport. Well, I don't really follow sports, so so John's going to explain what this is about. The most whitest of all sports. Yeah. I, well, I know I'm just uh, still processing uh, Avi coming out to me as, as BIPOC. Uh, so <laughs> the, f- the fact that you call baseball one of the whitest of sports shows to me how little you know about baseball. Because That's why I turned to you, John, to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, you know, I'm clearly like a sports expert because I'm wearing a baseball hat and stuff. <laughs> Uh, well, it's an F1 hat. But um, baseball is uh, one of the most amazing things about baseball, of the many amazing things, uh, is how, especially in recent years, how multicultural it is. So um, the, the Toronto Blue Jays are, are not unusual in that they have a lot of um, players from Latin America. They have, um, you know, guys who look like your traditional white campus jock. Um, you have, um, a Japanese pitcher, you have someone from Korea, and now you have somebody who played on Team Israel. This guy, um, the first name isn't particularly Jewish, it's Spencer, uh, but Spencer Horowitz. You haven't been to bar mitzvahs lately. Oh, is it? Oh, Spencer has become like a Jewish thing? Really? Okay, so I'm Google image searching now because, because of a reason that, because I was instructed effectively to do so. Yeah. Because why? Well, because he's... Is he? I'm trying to decide. Like, the photos of this man are very confusing. Because in some of the photos, it would be a yes. And in others of the photos... Oh, it's like the Seinfeld episode where where the girlfriend is in the shadow. The woman with the two sides of the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything comes back. So the photo I saw of him, because what happens is... So he's, just to fill people in who aren't baseball fans, who aren't from Toronto... uh, he he's a rookie, so um, he just in the last couple of days he started to make appearances on the field with the Toronto Blue Jays as they're making a playoff run, and uh, I was like Spencer Horowitz, that's that's not that's an unusual baseball name, and I googled him, and the first photo that came up is like him looking like this baseball golem, uh, and he had his Team Israel shirt on, now. Say Team Israel, like it's kind of like a lot of sports where the Israeli national team is composed of guys who moved from the United States and were really good at like hockey or, um, you know, in this case, baseball. And so it, it, I actually don't know much about his background except, you know, I know how attractive he is, but and statuesque. I mean, like his posture is amazing. But I he, think, I think we may have to agree to disagree a little bit here, John. He looks like kind of an IDF recruiting poster from thirty years ago. Like <laughs> it's sort of the the he looks Shmulek. Yeah, he, he does. He looks he looks like Shmulek, like the part time paratrooper who also goes back to the Moshav to help his parents, like with the the farming and stuff like that. Like he's the 
the perfect perhaps he is that is his Mossad cover as being a blue jay that would be the coolest thing if he like went from city to city in north america hitting home runs by day and by night he was like i don't know Sending um, messages back to the Mossad. Or he sent... Using, and you know that they use the Dome of the Rock. It turns into a satellite dish at night. He sends coded messages, like, with his home runs and stuff. Like that. <laughs> but but it's actually, like, for all the strides that Jews have made in so many domains, um, professional baseball Jews are still rare enough that when comes around, people point it out. Or, or like, or hockey is the same way. Uh, which, by the way, hockey is a much wider sport. So this guy oh. Hyman, uh, so Avi, Phoebe, even you guys, you probably know who this who Hyman was. Zach Hyman. Zach Hyman. No, uh, I don't know who anybody is. Nice um, Jewish boy. Nice Jewish boy who played Jewish, and he he plays hockey in a very non-Jewish way. Like he parks his ass in front of the net and doesn't move until he shovels the puck into the. Like he's a very physical player. Like he, and I, he, I, I guess some people would want to claim that this man is not white because he's Jewish. I think this man is white. I've he's super white. Search and and this is this he's is a super white. Man. white. He's super white. He's yeah. um, sorry, anti-Semites of the world, but that that's a white man there. By the way, can I just this go back full circle because we were talking about like Nazis and Twitter Nazis and and Nazi Twitter. Um, most of the people, I get more trolls on Twitter from progressives who call me a Nazi than from. Mm actual Nazis who call me a Jew. And I would say this helps definitively answer the question of whether Jews have become white in the affirmative, that it's no longer an effective rejoinder to say, well, I can't be a Nazi because I'm Jewish, because a lot of my trolls, they don't care about that anymore. Okay. Oh, I have a rejoinder to that, though, which is that people are now saying that anybody can be a white supremacist, even if they're not white. Especially Hispanics. In fact, right. the, so the that, New York so Times... Are Hispanics white, then? The New York Times actually Summer, had an, actually, an op-ed yes. two days ago, uh, basically talking about, like, isn't it terrible that <laughs> Latin Americans are such white supremacists now? Uh, which, which to me, kind of, like, erodes the currency of calling someone a white supremacist, if it just means... You're somebody who has opinions I don't like, uh, regardless of your skin color. So. But I think that this means that it's not, um, if you're Jewish and you get called a Nazi, that means that you're white. I think it's more that like everybody can be called a Maybe, Nazi yeah, or you're white right. supremacist. Yeah, right. You could be an Asian um, white supremacist. Or it's you could be, it's yeah. what I said. You're always either, you can often be either an oppressed or an oppressor, and sometimes you are both in varieties of situations. Right. You can be oppressing, you know, you know, white uh, non-whites while still being non-white in a different way. Yeah. Well, we, we've covered like a million different things here. We'd love to hear what you think. Um, please do email us. I feel like this is going to be the episode where we get a barrage, a deluge of emails. Um, email us at bonjour at the cjn.ca. We really would love to hear and what you think. Please let me know if you think I'm Jewish or not by your use of parentheses around my name, because otherwise I might not find out. Yeah. Uh, John, will you stick around and uh, give us some nachas? Sure. Okay. As long as well, it doesn't, start... uh, doesn't cost me anything, right? Uh, no, it's, it's, it's free today. Are you in the market for a new watch or a special piece of jewelry? Are you looking for the perfect engagement ring to pop the question? Atelier Lou has all this and more. Eric and the team at Atelier Lou can craft a piece for you, or you can select from some of the exclusive designers that they offer. From a simple bangle to a statement necklace, Atelier Lou can make you or your loved ones sparkle. 
Located in the heart of Westmount in Montreal or online at atelierlou.com, visit Atelier Lou for your next watch or jewelry purchase. And when you do, make sure to use promo code BON18 for 10% off your next purchase. That's atelierlou.com. John, what's your nachos this week? So I've developed this super sick forehand in disc golf. We haven't even talked about disc golf, have we? I noticed the the trophies of disc golf behind you. Um, They're not trophies per se. Um, I kind of make my own trophies just to celebrate my accomplishments. But um, my biggest accomplishment athletically during COVID was becoming a, a pretty good disc golfer. Um, I, I'd say that's as close as I've come to any kind of celebration-worthy accomplishment. You're going to be recruited to Team Israel. Well, so... Um, there is a disc golf course in Israel, and I know this because my friend Josh Kalman visits me from Rehovot, um every couple of years, and I gave him a bunch of discs to take back. Um, unfortunately, like it's it's in sort of like the scrubland, and I I think it might even be in a contested Palestinian area. So geopolitics may be conspiring against the rise of disc golf because you need like 15 acres to have a good disc golf course hmm. and, and you know what happens when israelis need 15 acres <laughs> like <laughs> are, you, are you making anti-semitic jokes about jews in real estate i uh, know no 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 this is sorry sorry no absolutely not this is the furthest thing this is i'm accusing them of a blood libel against palestinians i just that's i'm not doing the real estate oh, thing boy. Cause, cause so I, so so yeah, is yeah. your is your nachas um disc golf yeah. Related then. Yeah, it's just not. But you're yeah, the guy who made the, the, the joke about the, the Jews in the, uh, yes. the yes. Volkswagen. Yes, <laughs> in the, uh, in the ashtray. Which, by the way, you know, kids don't uh, even know what an ashtray is anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You show them an ashtray, they're like, what? is that a really tiny cereal bowl? Yeah, with a spoon rest. Um, <laughs> with three spoon rests. <laughs> What's your nachas, Phoebe? Um, mine is, and uh, this is a little bit cheating because I already wrote about it for our website, that it's extremely Jewish over at the, of all places, Sararin Farmer's Market, the weekly um, West Toronto Farmer's Market near me. Um, to explain what a Toronto Farmer's Market, or at least this Farmer's Market is, um, it's because Farmer's Market can mean all different things. It's almost like if you watch British TV, or maybe this is how it actually is in Britain, like the Village Fate like a lot of um, sort of family activities and a lot of just sort of C and B scene, a lot of, you know, music playing and all this anyway. Um, so there is a stand that I don't think it was there this week, but it's often there from Lev Bakery, which is apparently founded 2020 uh, that sells food at farmer's markets and sells challah and babka and things of that nature as well as hats that say hala and babka and things of that nature so for the baseball cap seeker um there's something to consider i guess um and i thought okay that's like surprisingly jewish for this um traditionally polish and um not particularly jewish seeming pocket of toronto um where i live and then on monday there was klezmer music from um and, and it was like there was some in Yiddish and some was in Hebrew and that was um and I just w- there was this moment where the performer was like mime because he, he sang some song that was like mime 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 and then he's like mime means water and I'm like 
so it does. So it does. <laughs> um, and it was just this very strange um, thing because I would not have expected. I always claim to be the only Jew in the neighborhood, which I know is not true. There's literally another Jew from the CJN who's like down the street from me. But um, yeah, anyway, so my uh, nachas, and, but this is not just a nachas. This is also a crossover for the Jews and whiteness thing, because if there is a substantial Jewish cultural presence at this farmer's market, um, I don't think we can claim much in the way of uh, non-whiteness. Anyway. Farmer's markets are super white. Right, right. That's been in the stuff white people like lists yeah. from like 2010. Farmers, yeah, it's like the was. top three. Yeah. Top yeah. three. Yeah, yeah. So Avi, what, what are you going to knock I, I'm going to follow in your heels <laughs> in so many uh, various verticals that, I, that I'm going to hit right here um, in terms of white people and uh, klezmer and all that. Um, there's an article a few weeks ago uh, from the JTA, uh, Jewish Telegraphic Agency, uh, t- that had the headline, Crop Tops, Kippas, and Klezmer, a Jewish rave scene takes hold in New York City. Oh my God. Uh, and I had so much hope for this. And then I realized that it's actually this one person who has decided to uh, call this new genre of music Klezmeronica, a young woman named Kaya Berman Peters, who is part of like a, a wonderful Klezmer group called Leviathan. Um, she is a great musician. She is the child of an, uh, academics and musicians and has gone into music um, and has decided that she's going to merge Klezmer and, uh, and rave music and electronica and it's going to become a movement and as far as i can tell this movement is entirely her um this the pictures in this article are the least ravey looking pictures imaginable they're all I, i see one crop top what I love about this is that the first of these ideas that she talks about uh, as a deeply rooted respect for Yiddish tradition and Jewish ancestry, the second honors the black and radical lineage of electronic music, oh Chicago God. house music, dub in Jamaica, house in Detroit. And you look into these photographs and they are all white. They have nothing to do with black rave culture, with house music, with Detroit, with Chicago, with any of this stuff. This is one person who's decided that she is going to create the movement. She is going to talk about it as being grounded in other she went to, she went cultures Harvard, and societies. Right? She's still, I think she still she's is in Harvard. Harvard. Yeah. Okay. But, but, but really, she, it, is, it is one. You can't even hear the music. I've heard a couple of clips because um, there was a uh, WBGO did a piece about her and there were some clips of the music. But at the end of the day, she hasn't put out an album. She's just made a three or four events for white people uh, during daylight hours. I might say, if you look at these photographs, this is like daytime parties um, in Queens. Um, not exactly very ravey at all, um, but all the power to people for trying to make music. Sorry, this not just sounds. It's a drag. Music. It's a drag performance. I'm very confused. Some of them I'm sorry, are I'm on, drag. The, I'm on the website, and I'm just confused about what it is. It seems like it's a. a it seems My like it's a lot of every. A lot of everything. Yeah, my nachas is that people are trying to make music, even if ultimately sometimes. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm calling it, your nachas was basically kvetching. Yeah, disguised, it was a kvetch. disguised it was as more nachas. of a kvetch. Disguised as nachas. I wanted to like this so much. No, but I'm. Well, but that doesn't count as nachas. That's like say, well, I thought this would be positive, but instead I'm going to bitch about her this for band. Her band, Liv Yassin, is actually a very good band. I will, I will say that much. And that was very interesting. Out. Very interesting. Yeah. But don't, don't call that nachas. <laughs> Can I have a second nachas like disc golf and superstore? That's going to be my second nachas. Sure. Well, because Avi didn't really give us a I nachos. gave a half a nachos. Yeah, no, it was zero nachos. <laughs> it was just like a rant. Yeah, yeah. I don't feel like yours was crazy. It was a disgrace though. to the nachos brand is what it was, <laughs> I think. Yeah. 
Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for the week ending September 9th, Shabbat Parashat and Nitzavim. The show is produced and edited by Zach Kaufman. The executive producer for CJN Podcasts is Michael Freeman. Our music is by SoCalled. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on our page at thecjn.ca slash bonjour. And you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We would love it if you told a friend about Bonjour Chai. It is always one of the best ways we get new listeners. And as always, you can email us with comments at bonjour at the cjn.ca. Jewish comedy legend Modi and Hasidic rapper Nisim Black are coming to Toronto to perform live at UJA's campaign launch on September 7th. Visit jewishtoronto.com to get your tickets today. Don't miss Modi and Nisim Black on September 7th. Go to jewishtoronto.com for your ticket today.